You know, the year 2020 has been uniquely difficult for the field of HR. We're dealing with all of these pandemics and societal stresses uh, as individuals and as people helping lead our organizations through them. And few roles feel that pressure like chief diversity and inclusion officers. And today, I'm really excited to sit down with Tiffany Stevenson. Tiffany is the Chief Talent and Inclusion Officer and Global Head of Communities at Box. And we're going to explore what it means to be in that seat in this year and get into specifics around different programs and initiatives that she's been involved in. So we'll be right back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. Redefining HR, one podcast at a time. Support for the Redefining HR podcast comes from PIN. PIN is building the world's first employee-centric communications tool, enabling your employees to automatically receive helpful messages at key moments throughout their journey, from onboarding to promotions and everywhere in between. PIN helps companies battle communication overload and puts your employees in control over when and how they receive information. Go to PINHQ.com for more information. That's P-Y-N-H-Q.com. And reinvent employee communications for the distributed workplace. And now, on to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Redefining HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt. And today, I am really excited to be joined by Tiffany Stevenson. Tiffany is the Chief Talent and Inclusion Officer and Global Head of Communities at Box. And wow, we have a lot to cover. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right in. You know, Tiffany, thanks so much for coming on the show. If you wouldn't mind, why don't you give the listeners a uh, brief intro and background on you? Well, first of all, thank you so much. It's such a treat to be here. Um, I uh, really love talking about all things people and culture and talent. So looking forward to this conversation. Um, so yes, yeah, so my role, um, I'm the Chief Talent and Inclusion Officer and Global Head of Communities. Uh, if I had a mission statement, it would be, uh, I really want to build healthy, thriving, and high-performing communities inside and out. Um, so internally, a lot of the work is really focused on developing our boxers. So we work for box, we call ourselves boxers. So we really want to create a space where we're developing our boxers and teams and creating a thriving culture. So that includes things like onboarding, learning and development, our talent policy. It includes all of our efforts to really drive diversity and inclusion forward with engagement and belonging. And then there's an external component of this as well, which is really thinking about things like how do we optimize our communities in a way that really uplifts our culture? Um, and we get to do that through um, our volunteerism, our nonprofit customer support. So we have 9,000 awesome nonprofit customers, as well as our philanthropic efforts, which includes our giving, um, as well as some of the key partnerships that we have. So that is a little bit about uh, what I do, and I get to do it with an incredible team. Yeah, well, you have a big job with a lot of layers to it, and I'm anxious to dig into that. But before we even get into your, your role at Box, I want to I wanna kind of rewind back to your, you know, what kind of drew you to HR? Because I know you started your career in banking and then moved into HR at, you know, talent management at Sephora. So what was it about HR that, uh, that compelled you to make that move? Yeah, I feel like it was just like, a, it was a paperclip magnet kind of situation. I think <laughs> the one thing that I just kept coming back to um, is just, 
I just have a weird curiosity around the intersection of people strategy and business strategy. So if I think about the work that I was doing in banking, I was on the product development side and marketing, and we had just created a new customer segment. And as by creating that segment, it meant that all of the brokers had to really accept this as a viable segment and think about um, how they can help make this the products that we were designing, making them work. And it just kept getting me back to like this idea of change management and how do you move people and organizations through change. And previously, before I started in banking, I actually worked in the hotel industry and um, I worked in Vegas um, for uh, Mirage Resorts. And similarly, I had a similar curiosity. Um, even though I was working on the hotel management side, I kept getting curious as we were opening new hotels because we were opening Bellagio and we were opening Beau Rivage in Biloxi, Mississippi. There was just so much organizational change and sort of driving what was a clearly compelling strategy. And some folks were on the bus and some weren't. And just thinking about how you move people and teams and organizations had always been something I was interested in and had a chance to focus on that in business school. And so coming back to banking, um, I just had an interesting moment where I was able to think about I would actually really want to focus on this and think about how do you equip teams and equip individuals to feel connected to purpose and culture. And this opportunity opened up um, with Sephora and I jumped um, to really bring all of this together um, into one role. And I got to start by um, doing sort of leadership and um, leadership development. And then that sort of grew into talent development and then the talent development sort of blossomed into a role where I got to think about that pretty holistically for our stores, um, as well as for our corporate team. So I've had a very random career. I've worked in multiple industries, but I think that that has always been the common thread. Yeah. And let's, I want to dig into your role at Box, um, but I guess just to kind of level set for, you know, listeners that may not be familiar with Box, could you give a quick overview of, you know, what the company does, company size and uh, structure of the HR team to support them? Yeah. So Box, our mission at Box is we want to power how the world works together. Um, and so we believe that we work together and when it's super easy and frictionless um, for companies to um, collaborate and be able to do it in a very secure way. Um, so we're very proud to be the brand behind the brand of over 100,000 uh, customers worldwide. Um, we get to support brands that we all know and love, um, like Nike and Pixar and McDonald's and my personal favorite, Beyonce, um, <laughs> in fact, an enterprise um, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but we really get to think about um, driving workflows and make the, making those more seamless for, for organizations, um, as well as uh, easier to collaborate. Uh, so we are so proud of that. And we are a company of size of about 2,000 employees um, spread out over 10 countries. Got it. And then how big is the uh, the HR team to support that that employee base of 2,000? Yeah. So we have close to 100 folks um, that are spread across all of the areas that you can um, expect. So um, we definitely have our people partner team, total rewards, recruiting, um, operations, and then uh, the work that, that our team does as well. Okay, cool. So I, I want to, you know, dig into your role a little bit more. And I think for, for many listeners, the, uh, you know, the, the chief talent and inclusion uh, aspect of your role uh, is probably more understood in terms of what that involves. But, but the global head of communities piece 
is is new and it is a bit different uh, when coupled with that. And you talked about it a little bit in your intro, but I'd like to go a little bit deeper. Like when you, how do you think about communities in your role? How do you think about how much of your time is focused, you know, internally versus externally or with existing or emerging communities? Like help me understand that a little bit more. Yeah. And this is a new model for us. Um, and I'm so excited. What I've always loved about um, my career at Box is that we've definitely been um, very gutsy and um, open to sort of building the model that we think sort of matches the direction that we're trying to head and just sort of live our brand and values. And so this role sort of evolved over time. Um, we've always had box.org, which is our philanthropic org. We've actually had that um, set up for over six years. And um, historically, that uh, team has helped to really drive incredible philanthropic work, uh, really helping us to secure key partnerships, as well as using our product in the spirit of using our product to do more good, to really help make sure that nonprofits have access to um, Box as a platform to drive some of the things that we were just talking about with um, cloud content management. Um, so that has already always been in place. I think one of the things that we started to think about is Internally, we've also done a lot of work around um, how do we create um, a sense of belonging? How do we um, create a, a, an approach or a model that helps us think about um, how we live our values out loud? And so when we started to think more about these two spaces, what's happening externally with the work that we're doing and what's happening internally with the work that we were doing, it kind of helped us think about sort of these three focus areas that kept emerging for us, which is um, really thinking about uh, things like diverse tech pipeline. Um, so how do we think about making sure that we are building um, a robust, uh, diverse, representative world, both inside and out? It made us think about digital transformation. So, so much of the work that we do around building this world-class cloud content management platform is about the freedom that that unlocks. And so how do we think about both the fact that we're building this product, but we also want to make sure that we're helping digital transformation happen for everyone who needs it. And so we're able to bridge that divide for all sorts of organizations. And then thirdly, being a good neighbor. When we thought about the work that we were doing internally with our employee resource communities, with how much time we spend on thinking about belonging and how we rally for one another um, when something happens. So much of that also impacts our philanthropic work and just being a good neighbor, you know, when there was the tubs fire or when things are happening. And so we started to walk away with this model of how might we think about the work that we're doing, not in segments. So we do this really cool stuff outside and we do this really cool stuff inside, but how can they start to become mirror images of one another and really rally around these three focus areas? Because this is the, the change in the work that we want to see in our own organization, um, but it's also the work that we want to see externally for our customers, as well as the external communities that we support. And so that uh, proposition got us to building this model um, and we're about four months into the model and it's feeling really good right now. It's really been a nice unifying way for us to think about the work that we do and how we can do good inside and also do it out in a way that feels parallel. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting uh, hearing how you frame that and kind of it, it, there's, it's clear how there's like a natural connection to the inclusion and belonging work within box. So that, that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, 
you know, when you kind of think about all things 2020, right? I mean, 2020 has been, uh, you know, lots of people call it the, the year of HR in terms of functional areas within organizations that are really carrying a lot of the burdens that 2020 has yeah. created. And so I think, you know, all HR practitioners are feeling that and carrying that to some extent. But I think in roles like yours, you know, officers who are leading inclusion and belonging, there's an extra tax to what you are are carrying, uh, you know, with you and experiencing as you navigate, you know, all of the things that are happening in 2020, not just the pandemic, but the, you know, increased conversation and awareness around racial injustice and, and uh, racial equity. And you're, you know, you're navigating your leadership team through that. You're navigating that, you know, your boxers through that. And you're also going through that yourself individually. So how do you take care of yourself in all of that? Like, how do you, how do you think about self-care? How, how do you think about ensuring that uh, you're able to, you know, kind of safeguard yourself uh, from just the rawness and the realness of all these things that are happening, especially in the seat that you sit in within Box? It's such a good question. And it's something, you know, honestly, I think if you ask anyone, and I actually have a wonderful network of folks who are chief diversity officers, and, you know, a lot of the conversation is just recognizing that this is a marathon and not a sprint. So nothing about this work is going to ever feel like um, a moment, even though there have been some very um, almost lightning rod moments that have happened this year. Um, but this is truly a movement. And so if you're not careful um, and you're not really thinking about how you can equip yourself to go the distance, you're going to burn out. And um, the work that we do is so important that the fear of that sometimes um, is the fuel that I need to power through a day, but also it can be a diminisher and like, oh my goodness, am I really taking care of myself? And so um, I think a couple of things that I've really been wrestling with is just, and it's been a conversation that we've had at Box quite a lot, is the importance of vulnerability. Um, I think that a lot of people who've chosen an HR path um, tend to be, I would say, the very definition of keep calm and carry on. Um, and I just don't think that that's real. Um, and it's important that we stay checked in with how we're feeling. Um, I've been really working on like how I can just let people in on what's happening. Um, for example, like one recent issue I've been having is I've had a real issue with grinding my teeth in TMJ, which, you know, it's like, if you see me, I feel really calm, but then it's like, clearly at night, I'm not calm. And that's where I'm really processing all of this um, anxiety that I'm feeling. Yeah. Um, and I'm hearing that's on the rise now. <laughs> um, and so I, I need to kind of reconcile that and be okay, like talking about that. And I think people need to, to see from me and see from others that it's like, we're, we're, we're getting through this and we um, might need some help here and there, but we have to be open enough to talk about those moments and be real because that actually makes space for, for other people. And it's sometimes it's also acknowledging when you don't have the answer. There's so much about what's happening in the world um, where we don't have a clear answer. Even if we were super declarative, it's like none of us have a crystal ball. Um, and so just even sometimes just feeling okay as a leader to say, I don't know. And here are some ways that we're thinking about this. Here are some things that we can do and try. And then in the spirit of 
self-care. I'm just really trying to just lean into the things in my life that bring me the most center. So um, for me, that's my faith. Um, It's being outside as much as possible, keeping up with weekly rituals like brunch on Saturdays at home with lots of um, champagne and orange juice, Um, (laughs) uh, Sunday FaceTime with my family. Um, So I try to do those things um, with a lot of intention, staying connected with friends um, in the ways that we can these days. Um, And it's not a perfect solution. Um, Always back to the drawing board with new experiments to try, but we have to really think about the longevity of this and not just feel like we, as HR leaders, have to just put a cape on our back and and power through. Yeah, you know, and I really appreciate your you're framing around the long game and kind of looking at moments versus movements. You know, I'm, I'm curious as somebody who's, you know, obviously has been in this, you know, for years, does 2020 feel different to you in terms of like, there's been obviously a lot of moments. Um, there's been a lot of conversation, what seems to be more of a, uh, more conversation, more awareness in some cases, more action and lots of cases, more conversation. Um, but are, are these, what, what is your feeling for how companies, uh, this, how, how this, this, all these things may impact the longer term, uh, you know, change in companies or, or are they just, you know, kind of louder moments that are happening? I think time will bear this out and I'm really hopeful Uh, I think that uh, what I'm seeing is a conversation and seeing um, how the conversation is drawing out awareness. I'm also seeing increased pressure to drive accountability both inside and outside of organizations. And to me, that gives me a lot of um, cautious optimism that um, we can no longer uh, sort of Um, make these conversations sort of optional, or we can no longer kind of make this work sort of nice to have. But it's, um, you're hearing about conversations that are happening in boardrooms, um, where I would say boardrooms in the past didn't necessarily need to wrestle with some of these topics. So I think we're starting just to see a lot more engagement around it, and a lot at all levels in the organization as well as externally. And I think that's wonderful. And I think that that hopefully is going to be the momentum. And I think that's what feels new this year around um, how we can help drive some of the change. I think the other thing that I'm seeing that I also, um, it's making me, it's also making me hopeful these days is I think that um, when we all got sort of when COVID came about and we had sort of this global pandemic, I think there's a level of empathy that just got raised collectively um, because I think COVID um, definitely caused everyone to kind of be back on their heels and reconcile some of the um, challenges that I think a lot of people have historically faced. It's like a lot of people are now sitting in these situations where I'm now, because I'm working from home or because I'm impacted, or I might be experiencing employment loss for the first time. So a lot of just things have just happened like as a, as a, as, as a world, like as a global community yeah. that I think is collectively raised empathy. And then if you juxtapose that with some of these horrific, horrific things that have happened um, that have just really put a spotlight on um, racial inequity and social injustice, um, I think everyone's just collective humanity has just 
gone up a click, which has made us open to recognizing that, hey, we might have blind spots in the experiences that some of our employees are facing. And I think that that collective awareness is something that, you know, when things kind of go back to whatever the future of normal is, that we hopefully are going to carry those lessons and what we've learned and how important it is that we stay connected with these issues and constantly be in a state of motion of moving this work forward because there's no light switch to, to some of the issues that we're dealing with and we need the collective momentum to keep it going. Yeah, I mean, and I think uh, on your last point, you know, we're we're both based in the U.S. Uh, where we just went through the you know certainly the most divisive campaign and election cycle in our lifetimes. Um, you know, the, and, and we're still going through that, right? Like, I think it's, 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 uh, the signs are, are pretty clear that it's not going to be just a nice quick transition from one thing to another thing. Uh, and so, you know, HR practitioners are on the front lines of that. In many cases, these, these polarized kind of political times, uh, that we're in and I'm, you know, do you have any perspective on, and I guess this is maybe, you know, this, this is where I call for advice for, for desperate HR people who are like, my company is a disaster right now, you know, politically and with the discourse, like how, how can HR help support their employees kind of through, uh, these polarized times? Yeah, this has been, you know, I keep laughing. I have a, a, a library downstairs. My mom was a librarian. I have every leadership book you can ever imagine. <laughs> this is the first time I've looked at those books. Like it hasn't been written yet. Like the answers have literally not been written. <laughs> right. We're sort of building the plane while we're flying it um, these days. And so to me, I try to think about um, what are compasses that might help me think through um, how I apply the identity of my organization into tangible action? And so what I mean by that is, like, for us, we really spent time thinking about our values and letting our values sort of help us think about what behaviors would we want to see from one another? And then how can we, like, use this time to really like lean back into those values, do some enablement in a way that sort of represents sort of who we are. So for example, one of our values is be candid and assume good intent, which means that people probably don't come to work to cause harm to others, right? It's like right. people probably, you know, we might not see things the same way, but it doesn't mean that we have to have the assumption that that, that that is sort of driving our conversation. So how do we use that value to have more helpful and productive conversations? And so um, with the help of our communications leader, we were able to share some resources from the Dialogue Project, which I really, really recommend, and the Better Arguments Project. And they had discussion guides on just ways to have this have these types of conversations in a way that um, is respectful and assumes the good intent that we probably all have, even if we don't see eye to eye. Um, we also created some um, individual contributor guides and tools that kind of help to frame up sort of what we expect to see from people um, in terms of um, this isn't a season of gloating. We really need to understand that everyone's coming from this from a different angle. And so we need to be really respectful of that. Um, another value that we have is make mom proud, um, which is just um, walking the walk with the integrity that would, you know, make whoever um, 
is special to you, feel proud about the way that you conducted yourself. And so um, we spent a lot of time sort of leading up to the election, um, having what was we called sort of a nonpartisan action of the week, just to um, encourage people um, to vote and to volunteer, volunteer in the democratic process and give people time um, if they wanted to volunteer. And so it wasn't about sort of wherever their political leanings are, but more around just being engaged. And we wanted to celebrate the fact that you were engaged in your own community. Um, so we had a huge Instagram campaign, and we definitely spent a lot of time um, celebrating folks who were um, really leaning in that way. Um, and then um, some of the other things that we did is just um, also really think about how we could help inform people on both like all of the um, complexity that was coming through the election with sort of a nonpartisan lens to it. And so um, our legal team offered optional pre and post election sessions with DC pollsters just to kind of understand what was happening um, without um, declaring any view in any way, but just kind of sharing what was happening information wise and potential impacts to some of our policies at Vox. And then lastly, one of the things that we did is just, again, kind of getting back to this idea of just the heaviness of this moment is we also wanted to make sure um, that we could use our last value I'll talk about, which is bring your blank self to work every day, um, which means that we can show up, we can be vulnerable, we can bring who we are. Um, and so we spent some time talking about mental health resources and really just making sure that people know that there's resources available um, to help process and to help heal, um, recognizing again that this is um, a movement, not a moment, and that we're going to have many more months of, of transition and the impact that that's going to continue to have. So those are some suggestions that I hope um, are helpful, um, but uh, definitely I would say leaning into who we are, uh, help to guide some of the decisions that we'll take, and we'll continue to respond um, as we as as changes continue to happen. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting too. I think uh, when you look at uh, you know even corporate activism, you know, or lack that of, right? I think in the last couple yeah. of months we've seen extremes from you know Coinbase uh, publicly coming out with their you know apolitical you know mission focused stance to. Expensify, you know, on the other end with right. their CEO, you know, basically sending an email to all all of their customers that you know a vote for Biden is required to defend democracy. And so, you know, the 2020 has seen employer activism, I, I think, in ways that we really haven't seen recently, anytime in the last you know a couple of decades to this extent. You know, do you have a sense uh, from your kind of interaction with employees and, and your boxers, like? What is it that they want or need or expect from their employer? And this, you know, I'm not limiting your answer to boxers. I know you have a peer network and so you probably have lots of these conversations, but what, what do you, where is the balance? Like, what do you think employees, uh, you know, want and need uh, from their employers uh, as it relates to, you know, having a, a perspective or a view on, you know, political topics or not? I think employees in general are looking for um, the expression of the brand identity of the company. Um, and I think that you look you look at that through so many lenses. You look at that from a lens of um, your customer base, the products that you design. Uh, you look at that through the lens of um, 
the decisions that you make, where you decide to spend your time and resources. Um, you look at that in the lens of your strategic plan. And I certainly think that there are a lot of conversations now around sort of reacting to the world around us. And also that is another area that I think that um, that employees are looking for um, some of that clarity and, and being a little bit more declarative. And I think in general, it's, it's virtually impossible for companies to really separate their mission from the impact that they're having on the world these days. Yeah. Um, policy absolutely is intersecting uh, with business more than ever, ever before. So I think the question and every company has to answer it for themselves is, you know, when, when is a good time to take that public stance and, and what are your guiding principles when you think about, you know, engagement? So um, that's sort of my general answer. Uh, I think that there are so many issues where you can see policy intersecting with business. And I think we're just at a point where business and politics are somewhat inseparable, you know, if we're right. going to stay competitive and innovate for the future and also be a safe safe space for your own, you know, employees to to feel like this is a place where they belong. Yeah. You know, and I think uh, that's, I, I think you're spot on and it's, you know, the idea of being able to separate them, I just, I struggle seeing how that actually bears out on a day-to-day basis, especially in a year like 2020, when there are so many seismic events that are happening that are just impacting our employees. Um, you know what, I know we've got a couple minutes left and I want to shift towards uh, distributed and remote work uh, a little bit with you. You know, I, I'm a fan of your CEO, Aaron Levy's openness around kind of his own journey navigating all things 2020, including kind of boxes shift towards uh, distributed work. And so uh, from your perspective, like how did that shift impact, uh, you know, I, I guess as you think about things from a inclusion lens and a, and a culture lens, how did that shift to distributed, you know, impact how you support those activities at Box? Yeah, it was definitely a very, this has been an an immense learning experience for all of us on just how do you um, make a transition and make sure that you're doing it in a way that um, brings employees along the journey. And so I'll probably focus on, you know, I think our biggest goal ultimately was like, how do you create a healthy and high performing culture um, that's virtual? And so I would probably flag three topics that I think uh, we really spent a lot of time thinking about. So um, employee well-being is definitely one uh, and and making sure that employee well-being um, and development are things that get to continue. And so we spent a lot of time just on the enablement side for our boxer community. So for the well-being, we definitely created like a portal where you could find anything you could possibly imagine, um, information that we had about what's going on, um, how they could think about benefits and resources um, that they needed to help make sure that they were physically taken care of. Um, And same thing with just, again, um, thinking about some of the mental health resources, um, a huge focus for us. And so making sure that we were making those resources available. We also launched the Headspace app for meditation, um, which has been a huge hit. Um, On the development side, also under this category of development, we really had to move all of our um, our learning to a virtual environment. Uh, and we offer a program we call LearnFest that we offer three times a year 
uh, globally where um, all of our boxers can take classes to support um, their growth and development. And so we immediately um, had to look at all of that content and move it to a virtual format and think about virtual delivery which randomly, we actually got better feedback um, and better scores um, in the full virtual environment than we did for any uh, cycles that we'd had previously. And we moved the same number. We, we generally average about 800 to 1,000 folks who actually move through those, those classes every cycle. So it was really exciting to see that as well. So that was sort of some of the work that we did on the employee well-being and development side. Um, on the manager enablement, I cannot say enough. So that would probably be my second topic. Um, so much manager enablement happened. Um, so there are resource guides. We have monthly manager power hours where we can bring all of our managers together and talk about um, enablement issues. Um, we have a lot of development um, for our managers in terms of training. So um, we have lots of content that helps them think about some of the unique needs that are coming up virtually, but some of the same lessons that you still have to do around how do you set goals? How do you develop? How do you help um, make sure teams are storming, norming, and performing, and you're now doing it more through Slack and right. Zoom. Um, so huge enablement there. And then I would say lastly, all about community. So we needed to make community. If you ever come to our offices, and I hope that you will someday, our community is just so loud and proud. And um, we really struggled at first of like, how do you move that and make that virtual? But we really found some fun ways. Um, so our Friday lunch, which is um, something that we um, host weekly globally with Aaron, our CEO, um, we just made sure that was um, even more fun. We have talent spotlights. Uh, we continue to do our customer stories where we invite CIOs to come in um, and talk to us about how they're using Box. Um, we've also launched a community corner so people can find out about some of the virtual events that we're doing. Um, our 12 employee resource communities are doing tons and tons of stuff. Our Slack channels, we have one for Boxer Dogs, Pelotons, <laughs> one for um, and we definitely kept up all of our virtual volunteering and things like that. So um, the good news is that I think we actually created a space where people felt like they belonged even more and had even more access to more employees because they were able to kind of step outside of their region and really connect with more folks. So um, those are some of the things that, that we've really been focus, focusing on. And we will continue to do that as we continue to kind of craft this like virtual normal for us. Yeah, I mean, that's such a, an interesting point uh, is that, you know, I think especially for global organizations that had distributed teams and, you know, offices around the world, you know, typically you would be interacting heavily with those people in your co-located office and, you know, maybe right. marginally with others. And this, you know, everybody's distributed world, it's you're actually making more connections, not less in many cases, because everybody has it's like a, a level playing field in terms of access and communication and, uh, and engagement. So that's a really interesting point. Um, Tiffany, you know, I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing, uh, your, your role, sharing your experience and, uh, and sharing your wisdom. So thanks so much for coming on. What a treat. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, Lars. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. 
If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.